Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Barry Motives for our first case of the year. Woohoo! 2022, baby! Hopefully we can bring you a year full of amazing cases. And hopefully you'll continue to listen. <laughs> That's our hope for the new year. Yep. All year long. We hope you all had an amazing New Year's Eve and are looking forward to something special in the new year to come. Absolutely. So for today's case, we're going to go international. We've been flying around this world a little bit lately. So much fun. But this one will be for our Danish listeners. We actually have quite a following in Denmark, surprisingly, and we are so grateful for them. This one goes out to all you Danes out there. Ah. I can't be like Christy and do all the the Australian slang. (laughs) What? No. Oh, I'm so disappointed now. (laughs) My Danish slang is not that good. It would all be in the blooper reel. But what was really fascinating about researching this case, and any case actually from different countries, was learning about all the different lifestyles and the judicial systems. Because sometimes you just kind of get stuck on what your world is like, and you forget that everybody else's is completely different. I totally agree. I found that with last week's case, just even the different names of the different crimes. Yeah, absolutely. You'll probably notice some of those things that are so different about their judicial system and just their lifestyle in general. Like, did you know Denmark was ranked the second happiest place to live right after Finland? (gasps) No, I didn't. Yep. And it also boasts some pretty low crime rates. Only 1.01 in 100,000 people. To be inflicted by a violent crime? Yeah. Wow. That is low. It is low. So to put that in perspective, Canada sits at 1.76 and the States sits at 4.96. That's crazy. So it's four times lower than the crime rate in the States. So what is the highest? The highest was actually El Salvador with (gasps) 52.02. What? 52? And the lowest is Japan. Oh. And they said 0.2. Wow. Well, I think we should go to Denmark. I think it's that the people are so happy that they have no need for crime (laughs) in Denmark. (laughs) Or are they happy because there is no crime? Yeah, it could probably work that way too. (laughs) What else is interesting about this case is reading all the different translated reports. Melissa will do her best, and I have Google Translate locked and loaded, ready to go. (laughs) I was so grateful when I would find a report that was already translated, because sometimes Google Translate just does not cut it. I was reading one of the reports that had some statements from the coroner, and it made the comment about choke back, which I'm assuming it meant strangulation. Oh. But maybe that's just a common phrase in Denmark about somebody dying from choke back. Or they choked them back because they were already (laughs) getting choked. I don't know. But maybe our listeners could let us know if that's a common phrase or that's just a Google Translate gone wrong. Right. Can you actually die from choke back? That's right. Does Hmm. that mean strangulation in Denmark? Hmm. Interesting. But before we get into the case and everyone can laugh at my poor pronunciation of the Danish language and my boggled translations, which... I apologize for. I wanted to ask you, have you ever met somebody that was really driven, that they went after what they wanted no matter what? Oh, absolutely. And did you admire them for that trait? For sure. I have a friend from school that I've grown up with, and she totally comes to mind. Well, who we're going to talk about today, the killer and the victim, are both described as being driven. Oh, that's interesting. When does that trait go from something admirable to something to watch out for and be scared of? I guess there's always that fine line. So today we're going to talk about the eccentric Peter Madsen. 
a Danish inventor entrepreneur whose case was covered extensively all around the world because on an August evening in 2017, he chose to take a young and promising journalist, Kim Vall, out on his personal submarine for an interview. He would return after the trip, but she never would. <gasps> and this is pretty recent. In Denmark, this case is known as Jubelsane. Ooh, and what does that translate to? The submarine murder. Ooh. Yeah. So this was his personal submarine? His personal submarine. Who We're has gonna... a personal submarine? He's a driven guy and he loves science. Rockets and submarines are his thing. So he's like a little boy who never grew up. Yep. <laughs> so it's like the Peter Pan case. That's right. Because this case was covered so extensively all over Denmark and Sweden, there was lots of speculation to why he committed these crimes oh. and why Kim would end up on the submarine with him. And how scary to be trapped in a submarine with your murderer. Yeah. You, can, you literally cannot go anywhere. This is a woman that was trained in self-defense. And so she could have gotten away from him, but then had nowhere to go. Oh, that is terrifying. What a nightmare for that poor woman. It really was. Peter Lankier Madsen was born on January 12th, 1971 to Annie and Carl Madsen. Annie was 36 years younger than Carl. And they... Oh, I have a strong opinion about that, but maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say it. <laughs> it would be interesting to find out what drew her to him. Money, 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 <laughs> maybe. money. It didn't sound like he was overly wealthy. I ain't saying you're a gold digger. <laughs> We don't know that. How many more songs should I sing? <laughs> what else can there be, honestly? Maybe I'm going to get some hate for this, but 36 years? That's a long stretch. That is a big age difference for sure. Annie had two previous marriages and three children prior to marrying Carl, who owned a pub. Together, they had Peter, who would be the youngest of four boys and grew up in Thaby and Hung in Denmark. It seems that Carl wasn't a fan of his three stepsons and would beat them brutally. Oh, no. But Peter was special and he was never beaten by his father. When Peter was six, Annie left Carl, taking the other three boys, but Peter was given the choice to stay with his father, which he chose to do. Really? Well, he'd yeah. been treated like a little prince. That's right. He was special. And so he had never been beaten, but to get her other three sons out of this relationship, she left him. Well, she probably knew that Carl wasn't going to beat Peter, but that would be so hard. How could you leave without one of your sons? I think she just probably thought that he was going to be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, but for the sake of her other three boys, she did have to leave. Oh, man. Could you imagine her fast forwarding to see what happens with Peter? Oh, no. That would Yikes. be awful. Peter had a unique upbringing with his father, who was an enthusiast of Werner von Braun, a Nazi aerospace engineer who helped develop the Apollo missions in the United States. Oh. Peter would describe his father as a commander of a Nazi concentration camp. When Annie began a relationship with a new man, Carl became jealous and more domineering and began to isolate Peter from his mother. Peter in his adult life would say that the relationship between his mother and his father was anything but amicable and that he was often used as a weapon in the war between them. What a dirtbag. I don't care what kind of problems you have with your significant other. You never use the children as a weapon. No, or your exes, right? Yeah. His father would tell Peter that he was welcome to visit his mother. But if he chose to, he would not be welcome back at home. Oh, yeah. So you really have a choice there, Peter. With the removal of his mother's influence, Peter followed his father's passions and developed a profound interest in rockets and began experimenting with them at an early age. His father supported and encouraged Peter's drive to find out anything he could about rockets. Essentially, he taught himself aerospace engineering. Wow. His studies were like an escape from his everyday life. 
So did he ever have an IQ test done? Like, do we know how intelligent he It seems scored? like he was average intelligence. Okay. For secondary school, which in Denmark starts at 15. Oh. This is one of those differences. Interesting. Yeah. Peter moved away from home and into a youth house to attend school. In 1986, still only at 15 years of age, he sent his first homemade rocket up into the air from a yard near his home. The rocket was about three feet tall. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's tall. <laughs> it is. And he christened the launch area Cape Cosmos. In 1990, when Peter was 18, his father passed away. And Peter was left to continue his obsession with rockets without his father. But he wasn't alone as a teenager. He had joined the Danish Amateur Rocket Club. And there he found like-minded people that shared his passion. While he was driven to find out all he could about rockets and how to make them, Peter bounced around pursuing different degrees and apprenticeships. He would explore studies in welding, refrigeration, and engineering. But none of them would hold his interest like building rockets. And he would never complete any of the programs. Oh, none of them? None. That's interesting because it sounds like he was capable. Yeah. If he's teaching himself rocket science. He comes across as a pretty smart guy. Huh. His drive to create bigger and bigger rockets led him to push the limits. He would eventually be kicked out of the rocket club because the group members felt his ideas were unsafe. He had been pushing to experiment with rocket fuels that were very volatile. Knowing that this is a murder case, they should have just put him in a rocket and sent him up. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your one-way ticket. <laughs> Well, interestingly, that's what he tries to accomplish with his rockets is his big passion becomes to make the first manned rocket into space. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Right? Mm. He meant business. He did. No wonder he had no time for the other classes. Through his 20s and 30s, Peter would expand his passion to submarines. And I think this was kind of a sideline because he needed some place to actually launch his rockets off of. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to launch it from the submarine. submarine. His lack of education didn't hold him back from becoming a semi-celebrity in Denmark, known as the Crazy Professor or simply as Rocket. He must have loved that nickname to be called uh -huh. Rocket. Yep. What guy wouldn't want to be called Rocket, really? Yeah. <laughs> He funded all of his projects with donations from supporters and fellow enthusiasts. His fascinations with submarines led him to creating his own personal ones. Wow. So he must have had some credibility if people are donating this money. Yeah. I think part of the fascination with him was that here's this guy that doesn't have any formal training or any academic background. And here he is creating rockets that are comparable to what like NASA is putting out. In his backyard. That's incredible. It was really like an anti-establishment kind of movement where here's this little guy and he's rising through the ranks. Huh. But it was all because he was so driven. Like he just never took no for an answer. There's that quality again. In 2002, he built his first submarine called Freya. In 2004, Peter moved to Refseluen, an area that had once been the heart of Denmark's shipping empire. It's described now as having a shabby appearance, a scene of dilapidated buildings left over from its former glory days. It was a stark contrast from Lange Linné, which stood on the other side of the seaward entrance of Copenhagen. It is the town that was made famous for the Little Mermaid statue that greets tourists from all over the world. Aww. Yeah. I love The Little Mermaid. Such a great movie. You just like her because she has red hair. Well, yeah. But the music is awesome in that one. It is. So there, at the age of 33, Peter finished his second submarine, Kraka. Kraka? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that translates to. I don't know. You have to look it up. During this endeavor, he would team up with Christian von Banksen, an architect who had previously done work with NASA, and the two launched Copenhagen suborbitals. The pair would endeavor to build a manned rocket that would fly into space called the Heat 1X. Hmm. 
Hmm. Is there an explanation as to why they named it that? Nope. How many beers did they drink before they came <laughs> up with that name? It is two men creating a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of testosterone going into that. Unfortunately, Peter was not the easiest person to get along with. He had little regard for those who didn't share his same passion for his work and became angry at his partner for putting his family's needs in front of their business project. Peter was described as uncompromising and would throw childish temper tantrums when he didn't get his own way. When the two partners ended their business agreement, Peter cited his own behavior as the root cause for the breakdown in the company. Oh, really? So he could recognize that he was the toxic one in that. Yeah. Christian would say that the reason the partnership ended was because Peter had a constant need to always be the center of attention. Oh, I know people like that too. Yeah. Yuck. Peter would leave Copenhagen Suborbitals in 2014 and start his own company, the RML, or Rocket Mazden Space Labs, just across the parking lot in an old hangar on the east side of the peninsula. So it was like literally across the parking lot from his old business. Oh, (laughs) way to expand there, Peter. There he made his third submarine, the UC-3 Nautilus, and continued to work on his idea to become the first civilian in outer space on his personal manned rocket. The Nautilus would be used in the launching sequence for the rocket, and at the time of its creation was the largest homemade submarine in the world. Really? Yeah, it was 17 meters or 53 feet long. Wow. Imagine the good this guy could have done if he did work for like NASA or something. Or he continued his studies and applied it in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Because who can just do that? Well, I'll just build the largest submarine in the world. But he's not affluential in the sense that he has lots of money. He's No, that's true. He's getting funding from other supporters, like people that believe in him. And so they're giving him money. And in the area that he works in, it was kind of full of dilapidated old hangars. And so there were lots of leftover materials that he was like refurbishing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so was he really charismatic to talk to people and get them excited about it and like get them wanting to donate? It sounds like he was charismatic at the beginning. Oh, And then once you got to know him a little bit more, then his kind of idiosyncrasies came through and he was more of a controlling, like, it has to be my way or or no way at all. His inner drill sergeant came out. Yeah. Over the next few years, Peter's fame as an anti-establishment supporter would grow. In 2009, he was the focus of a documentary, My Private Submarine. And in 2016, he would be the subject of yet another documentary called Amateurs in Space. During that documentary, behind Peter, while he is being interviewed in his workshop, there's a naked mannequin hanging from the ceiling. What? Yeah, it's so bizarre. Just in the middle of the documentary? Yeah, it's kind of like they're panning through his workshop, which he's showing them, and it's just hanging there. And nobody comments about it. What? It is the weirdest (laughs) thing. So I tried listening to the rest of the documentary, but I was like so focused on, was that really a mannequin did I see? So it was a mannequin strung up in the air, all chained up? Yeah, strung up from the ceiling. Oh, was it like dressed in a uniform? No, it was naked. A naked mannequin? Mm -hmm. Just hanging from the ceiling. Was it a male or a female mannequin? I think it was a male. You only oh. see it in passing. Interesting. I wonder what that videographer thought. Just like, <laughs> oh, look at this, everyone. So bizarre. Yeah. And is it interesting or is it disturbing? It's disturbing. Well, I was trying to think, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, well, maybe they needed the mannequin to like as a test dummy. Maybe. Or I like would think like, okay, like an office prank or something. You could see something like that happening. But he's not a joke around friendly guy. 
no, he's a little bit odd. And so there's just this mannequin hanging there. And maybe I took so much notice of it because I know what else he goes on to do and what other kind of obsessions he has. In the same year, Peter was also being filmed by an Australian filmmaker for a second documentary called Into the Deep. Okay. Yeah, he's getting a lot of notoriety from this. Mm -hmm. And the attention was welcomed by Peter. He would use the status he gained to attract women to join him in another obsession he had developed. His submarines weren't just serving him well in his daytime job, but after hours as well. The producer of the documentary, My Private Submarine, who had spent a considerable amount of time with Peter, would say that he often used the Nautilus in his seduction strategies. This is my submarine, he would say. Do you want to see my submarine? Could you imagine a guy coming up to you with that pickup line? No. And then he'd be like, well, actually, my submarine is the biggest one in the world. (laughs) I made it myself. (laughs) Ew. No. The only thing that Peter's obsession with rockets and subs didn't get in the way of was his sex life. And so since that mannequin was strung up in chains, is he into bondage and that kind of thing? Yep. Peter, from the age of 20, had been enthralled with BDSM. Okay. And by his own description, was very promiscuous and was autoerotically active. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's rumored that he liked to take women who had fangirled over his perceived fame out into his submarines to live out his fantasies. So they were willing participants. Yeah, it seems that they were. Okay. As long as they're both consenting, I guess. He would attend fetish parties in a naval uniform and cap and sought out women that were open to sexual experimentation. Wait, did he serve in the Navy? No. Oh, he just went and got himself. He knows women like a man in uniform, right? What girl doesn't? Like, let's be honest. (laughs) I think it was more that just like every other aspect of his life, he just kind of faked it his way through it. Like he had no training whatsoever to be building these rockets, but he still did it. True. You fake it till you can make it sometimes. Yeah. And in this case, he was faking the naval uniform and it was working for him. It was making him make it. Yep. If the fetish parties and his work connections failed to get him a date, he would use dating sites like TravelGirls.com. Travel Girls? Mm -hmm. It's a site where it would advertise girls that would want some sexual adventures while they're traveling. Okay. Monogamy wasn't really his thing, though. Doesn't sound like it. (laughs) No. Prior to being married, he had multiple girlfriends at one time. After he and his wife were married in November 2011 at the Copenhagen City Hall, they would maintain an open relationship. His sexual exploits were taken to a new level when he began to stage his own fantasies. He would seek out porn stars to act in them and videotape them. Whoa. And it's even alleged that he had appeared in two porn films himself and had loaned out two of his submarines to produce a pornographic film in 2017. Wow. Mm -hmm. Peter, you little perv. (laughs) And his wife was all for it. I don't know if she was all for it, but it seems that they had an open relationship and she stayed married to him. Yeah. Was she ever in any of the movies with him? Not that I know of, but her background is actually in film. So I wonder if that's how they met. Oh, maybe. There's really very little available about his wife because she asked to be left out of everything once the trial started. Can you blame her? No, not at all. It's reported that as early as 2010, his fetish took a particularly dark turn and he began downloading videos of women being tortured and killed and his obsession with BDSM and snuff films grew. Oh. And I had to look up what a snuff film actually was. Yes. You didn't know? (laughs) No. I totally (laughs) didn't. Oh, sweet little innocent Melissa. How did you not know what a snuff film was? I don't know. I just never 
knew what it was. You should have just texted me. I would have told you. No, I like true crime, but sometimes I don't know all the definitions. Well, and snuff films are dark. Yeah. That's going to a whole new level of crime. Absolutely. And that's where his obsession was taking him. So what was your definition you found? It's a movie that involves a real murder taking place for the pleasure of somebody else. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Which is so crazy. And it's done without cinematics or anything like that. It's just literally the nitty gritty of murdering somebody. Yeah. And people like on the dark web, they want to see these films. They become popular, which is so disgusting. So crazy. And Peter was really into the dark web. Oh, And I think it's just so disturbing that it's one of those fetishes that exists. Yeah. And you think it should be illegal. It should. Is it not? It isn't. What? So the actual process of producing it is illegal, but watching it and like actually having access to it isn't illegal. Which if you think about child pornography, which I would put right up there with that, it's even illegal to possess it. Right. Snuff films should be too. But snuff films aren't. That's shocking. And Denmark is known for having some lax attitudes toward porn and sexual fetishes. That's why they're so happy. (laughs) That's like literally my next line. (laughs) But you got it, Christy. That's what I was thinking. They must be. That must be the reason why they're so happy, right? They're all sexually satisfied. That's right. How do you not have a smile on your face? But Denmark was actually the first to legitimize pornography and was the first place where a world porn fair was held in 1969. In 1969? Yep. They're like, what are we going to do to commemorate 1969? And some creep in the back is like, I know. (laughs) And apparently Denmark was all for it. Yeah, that is hilarious. So while Peter's fetishes and his desires seem a little bit strange to us, maybe they aren't that strange in Denmark. Yeah, Denmark listeners, do you want to let us know? They're like, uh, no. Nope, I'm not fessing (laughs) up to that. But we do digress from the case a little bit. (laughs) Peter's sexual appetites just seem to go along with the eccentric behaviors that he exhibited in all aspects of his life. From casual acquaintances to volunteers that worked with him to his numerous sexual partners all commented that Peter had a number of oddities. Many would report that Peter would exhibit rapid mood changes that made him very unpredictable. But all this seems to have made him even more of a celebrity and more of the mad scientist that people wanted to fund and see what he would do next. So it's this kind of this perpetual cycle of building him up like, oh, you're that crazy? How much more crazier can you get? It's like having their own circus monkey. Yeah. Let's poke him with a stick and see what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. His next adventure was planned for August 26th and 27th of 2017. He planned to launch Flight Alpha, a preparatory launch to send the first manned rocket into space, just off the shore of Bornholm, the Danish island off the southern coast of Sweden. The team planned to sail the Nautilus out there on August 11th in preparation, and it was to be used as a launch pad for the rocket. It was this exciting endeavor in direct competition with his old partner and the release of the documentary that led Kim Valls to contact Peter in March 2017 for an interview. Kim Vall was a 30-year-old journalist that was attempting to write an article for Wired on the rocket builders and their plans for outer space. Kim wanted to get the story of Rocket Madsen. Oh no, little did she know. Mm-hmm. One of the resources I used for researching this case was a book called A Voice Silenced, and it's a biography beautifully written by Kim's parents. Definitely worth a read about who Kim Vall was in life. Aww. Kim was born on March 23rd, 1987 to Ingrid and Joaquin Vall, both journalists. As a young child, she was described as always being curious and being a spokesperson for any cause that she deemed worthy. To say that she was an academic was a bit of an understatement. 
She studied at Sorbonne in Paris, London School of Economics, and received a dual master's degree from Columbia University in New York. After completing her studies, she worked for six months as a trainee for the European Union in Delhi, India. She served at the Swedish Embassy in Canberra, Australia, and she worked for the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And all of this was accomplished before she was 30. Wow. She sounds remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so sweet that she became a journalist like both of her parents. Like she just fell into that naturally. Yeah. Their whole family, super sweet, just followed in the, their parents' footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Kim had a special knack for capturing the human essence of a story and enjoyed pieces that were poignant, highlighted truth, and inspired social change. The story of how Peter Madsen's team was striving to accomplish a seemingly impossible task of putting a man in space out of an abandoned hangar with spare parts solely on the donations and charity of others definitely checked all the boxes for Kim. Oh, for sure. That would be big news. And what's even more exciting for Kim is that this story is happening in her own backyard. As a citizen of Sweden, Peter's workshop was only 45 minutes from where she grew up, a mere trip over the bridge. Oh, wow. And where she was currently living was only a few hundred yards from Peter's workshop. Oh, that's kind of freaky. So it's literally in her own backyard. Yeah. Where she would have felt super comfortable. And total local news. So she would definitely want to cover that. And she had traveled all over the world. Yeah. And to find an exciting story just literally outside of her apartment. So I can see how you described her as a go-getter and a determined person as well, because to move to all those different places and do all that different schooling and all of that by the time you're 30 is quite remarkable. She had a drive to just tell people stories. In the biography, it really describes how her personality, she wasn't afraid to see the dark side of the places that she visited so that she could tell the story of the people that live there and allow light in. So she wanted to experience it firsthand so she could report on it accurately. That's right. Kim had been trying for months to contact the inventor entrepreneur, but had been unsuccessful. Then, out of the blue, on Thursday, August 10th, 2017, Peter finally returned her call. He had just finished an interview for the Australian documentary and had some time to meet with her. Kim calls him back at 4.38 p.m. and arranges to go see him that afternoon at his workshop. During that half-hour meeting, Peter agrees to be interviewed if Kim would join him on a trip on the Nautilus that evening. The perfect environment to show the journalist what his real work was about. Oh no. I'm only going, oh no, because we know she's not going to get off this ship alive. Yeah. But she probably was thinking, what an awesome opportunity. She'll get to see it firsthand and that's what she likes to do immerse herself in the situation absolutely and i think if you were to look at any journalist they want to go right where the action is for sure Mm -hmm. kim is hesitant at first to accept the invitation and talks it over with her boyfriend ol the timing isn't perfect they're in the midst of moving to china kim had just told her mom that ol was the one and within the next couple of days the pair would be starting the next chapter of their lives together oh that evening the couple had planned to have friends over as a farewell or a send-off dinner (gasps) oh The two agreed that the chance for the interview and the subsequent article that she would be able to sell was too good of an opportunity to pass up, especially since the harbor was such a short distance from where the friends were gathering, and it was believed that the interview would only take a few hours. Oh no, so sad. Such a bright future ahead. Like, that's the Mm. thing, right? Like, making all these plans and moving forward and everyone's excited and she's found the love of her life and, and almost escapes it you know like if he hadn't texted her back for a couple of days she would have already been gone it was just at this last minute that she accepts this invitation to interview him 
While Ole is entertaining their guests, Kim boards the Nautilus with Peter at 7 p.m. that evening. The gathering of friends watches as Kim leaves the harbor, standing at the submarine tower, waving excitedly to the group with her cell phone in hand. The friends on shore capture a picture of Kim looking happy and excited. <gasps> That's literally how close they are. So the party is happening outdoors and they can actually see her leaving the harbor. How eerie to have that picture later. She's about to embark on this trip of horror and terror and little does she know Ooh, did you see the picture uh -huh. there's several of them as she leaves the harbor kim is wearing a bright orange sweater and her signature white sneakers the shoes have been with her since her university days when a group of friends all decided to purchase the same shoes in a way to stay in touch after school on their travels to different parts of the world they would take pictures of their sneakers and send them to each other oh it's like the traveling what is that the sisterhood of the traveling pants or yeah. something yeah same idea so they would do this they all got the exact same sneakers and after her death her parents are going through all of her pictures on her laptop Aww. and they're like what the heck are all these pictures because they're just pictures of shoes and like distinctive monuments or things like that that is the sweetest thing i've ever heard oh mm -hmm. yeah so she was wearing these sneakers when she went out in her waving hand, she holds a cell phone that she is using to capture and send photos from. Ole gets a picture of a crab sitting on the outside of one of the sub's windows. Next is one that's taken from the coning tower with the accompanying text that reads, I get to steer too. One of the pictures that is sent captures the distinctive wind turbines indicating that the sub is heading out towards Middlegrund. A photo is taken by someone on another boat at 8.30 of Kim again waving happily from the sub as it sails out to sea. That picture is followed a short time later by a few texts. We are diving. I'm still alive. And I love you. Oh. The last text that Ole receives is he's even brought coffee and cookies on board. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. At 10 p.m., Ole hasn't received any more texts and starts to get worried. The interview is taking much longer than he thought it would take. At 2.30 on August 11th, Ole alerts the police and the Coast Guard that the Nautilus has not returned. And at 3.39, the police receive an alarm about a suspected accident at sea, and all docks and ships are notified to keep an eye out for the Nautilus, and helicopters are sent out to search. Oh, it was just like basically sending the lamb to the slaughter. She thinks it's such a happy time. She's excited. And little does she know. But this is a guy that like nobody would ever expect this from. He didn't really have a violent history except these sexual fetishes that he had and this obsession with snuff films, which actually isn't well known. Right. Mm hmm. Well, and he was volatile, like he could change his temperament really fast. Yeah. But he was looked up to. But this was the very first time she ever had any contact with him prior to his message, oh. like her original message in March to say, hey, can I interview? I'm doing this story. They had no contact prior to that. So imagine like her boyfriend and all those dinner guests thinking afterwards, like, why didn't one of us go with her? Well, and unfortunately, Ole had the opportunity. She had asked him, do you want to come along? And they had decided because they were having this dinner party that no, that would be rude to cancel the dinner party. Oh. And so he stayed behind to entertain all the guests. That would be rough for him later. Mm -hmm. Totally not his fault, but I just can't even imagine. No, nobody was expecting something like this to no. happen to her. I think what made it so much more unsuspecting was that she was an accomplished journalist that had traveled around the world. And so there had been times where her family and her partner would have been fearful for her life when she traveled on assignment to war-torn countries. Yeah, they're not worried about her being literally in their backyard. 
No, with a local celebrity that everybody knows about. They're just not expecting this at all. So at 10.30 a.m., the sub is spotted by Drogden Lighthouse and radio contact is made with the submarine and Peter reports that he's on the way back to the harbor. Everyone on board is fine. Peter says that he let Kim off and he tells the crew that he's in contact with that he's fixing something on board the Nautilus. A short time later, at 11 a.m., the sub is spotted by a pleasure boat captain and the captain watches as Peter climbs down into the sub, then airflow from below the sub starts to break the surface of the water. Within minutes of the initial sighting of the submarine, it has sunk, and Peter is rescued by swimming over to the other boat and is described as being absolutely calm. So did he sink it to hide the evidence? He had to have. He built the thing. He's not going to accidentally sink it. Sink it? And saying he has to do some maintenance? He was trying to dispose of the body. When Peter stumbles off the boat onto dry land at Draga, it's in front of a waiting press. So they've all gathered all around because they've heard of these two kind of local celebrities that have gone missing during the night. Oh, yeah. It'd be big news. Mm -hmm. And this whole case in Denmark and in Sweden is huge news and hits so many of the media outlets like right away, right from its very beginning. Oh, I believe it. Mm -hmm. The footage from the news cameras captures him giving a thumbs up to the cameras and reporting that he is fine. (gasps) Just a little sad about his sub sinking. He reports (laughs) that he experienced difficulty with one of the ballast tanks. The whole rescue has taken place without any mention of Kim's whereabouts. What a dirtbag. Thumbs mm-hmm. up. He gives a thumbs up to the camera. And because that Australian documentary was being filmed right. of him the day before, mm-hmm. they're actually on site when he comes aboard <gasps> and you can see him give the thumbs up to the cameras. Yeah, because he's still acting like a hero. It's okay, guys. I'm all right. Yep. Yeah. Just that kind of local celebrity, oh, had a little bit of a problem, but, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, look at what a Superman I am. I even survived a sinking sub. Yeah. You said, too, that he likes all the attention to be on him. Yeah. Ugh. Police question Peter about Kim, and he tells them that he was the only one aboard when the Nautilus sunk, and that he dropped Kim off the night before around 10 or 10.30. Liar. The story is suspicious to police. He has scratches on his neck and face and what appears to be blood on his jumpsuit. Well, yeah, because she had Uh self-defense. So she would have fought back. At 5.44 p.m. that same day, so within seven hours, not even eight hours after coming on shore, the police announced that Peter is a murder suspect. Yeah, his story is not adding up. Peter is detained for negligence, which that charge in Denmark equates to causing the death of another. At the time of the detainment, they're not releasing any details about why they suspect him of murder, only giving the company line that they need to detain him in order to collect forensic evidence and guarantee his rights. With Peter detained, the police have a deadline to produce evidence to support their belief that Peter has murdered Kim Ball. Police try to dive and enter the Nautilus, but its position on the seafloor makes it too unstable. The next day at 10 a.m., the police begin the process of retrieving the sub from the ocean's floor. It takes 24 hours to empty the sub of 9,000 gallons of water and start the investigation on the interior of the sub. Oh, and then everything has been soaked in water, which would damage a lot of the evidence. Yeah, but it's very clear as soon as the water has been emptied that Kim isn't on the Nautilus. Oh. What they do find is evidence that the sub has been sunk on purpose. Because this is a recent case, they probably could go back and try to look at surveillance footage and stuff. They wouldn't see her getting off on this island. You're so smart. That's exactly what they do. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Police look into Peter's story about dropping Kim off, and they do exactly what you thought. (laughs) They collect surveillance footage from the area where Peter claimed to have dropped her off. And there's no sign of Kim or the sub on any of the footage. Yeah. 
On August 16th, the charges against Peter were upgraded to causing the death of another under particularly aggravating circumstances. When are we just going to get to first degree murder? (laughs) There is no first degree murder in Denmark. Oh, Uh, so this charge is equivalent to like involuntary manslaughter here. Yeah, still not buying it. There's no way. During his detention hearing, Peter admits that Kim had died on the Nautilus during a freak accident. While climbing out of the sub, he slipped and fell, causing the heavy submarine hatch to hit Kim on the head, causing her death. The shock of the accident was so much for him that he had to rest while the submarine sat on the bottom of the seafloor for several hours, and that's why they were missing. When he woke, Peter said that he made the decision to bury Kim at sea, and this admission wasn't actually released to the public until three days later. Whoa. Yeah, I'm still not buying it. This version of events still didn't ring true to those investigating. So, Christy, you're right on track with this one. (laughs) I missed my calling. Yeah. Why had Peter not made any call for help? Yeah. And And who accidentally murders a woman and then just goes and takes a nap? Yeah. No, you're not doing that. Or if it's an accident, why make up the story that you dropped her off? Yeah. Why not just tell people right away? Yeah. Why not call for help? Dirtbag. Police continued to detain Peter and search for more evidence. So this I found super interesting. They still haven't charged him officially with anything. They're just detaining him and they continue to detain him for months. Oh, without a charge? Mm -hmm. So they do have a detainment based on, you know, causing the death of another. Okay. But it's not an official charge or an indictment. It's so strange. Yeah. It's good that they're able to. Yeah. Because I wonder how many criminals in North America get set free because they don't have enough to hold them. You can only hold them for a certain period of time and then you have to let them go. And that's kind of what it looked like in the Denmark judicial system is that they would get four week kind of segments of we'll detain him this long and you need to then come to us with more evidence. I mean, I guess that helps to protect innocent people, right? You can't just be detained forever. Yeah. Police continue to detain Peter and search for more evidence. On August 21st, a bicyclist finds a naked dismembered body in the water on the southwestern side of Ama Island. The body has no legs. Arms or head. No. Mm-hmm. So just the torso, pretty much. Just the torso. It takes two days to confirm with DNA that the torso that was found is Kim Valls. There are wounds on the torso that indicate that someone has inflicted the body with numerous penetrating wounds, and it has been weighed down with straps and metal pieces to prevent it from floating. Yeah, that's what he was doing when he was, quote unquote, fixing something yeah what a terrible person and his actual accounts are so detailed when he's making up these stories about oh well she hit her head and well they say that people who are lying will include a lot of details to overcompensate for their stories for their lies yeah while the search for remaining body pieces continues with swedish hrd dogs danish police and dive teams peter makes the request that his next detention hearing is held with open doors allowing a large number of media to be present on September 5th to hear Peter's version of events that has happened on the Nautilus. Oh, he just angers me. He's just after all the attention he can get. Yeah. He's center of, the, of attention. Yeah. Of the mindset that no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. Yeah, it is, Peter. Some is. <laughs> he repeats the same story that he told earlier, that a 150 pound hatch fell and hit Kim on the head. He said he found her in a pool of blood and realized that she was dead. He and was... when she got hit on the head, her arms and legs and head accidentally popped right off. That's right. And then all the knives from the cupboard accidentally <laughs> fell into her torso. Yep. That's what Give happened. it up, Peter. No one believes you. He was so overwhelmed by the turn of events and this accident that he planned to bury Kim at sea. 
So he tells this whole story again, even though they've just found a torso that has obvious wounds in it that don't go along with his story. And how many people do you just totally dismember to bury them at sea? And why not bring her home so her family can bury her if it was actually an accident? Well, what Peter says later on is that he felt that that would be too traumatic to learn that their daughter died in an accident. No, to learn that you murdered her in cold blood. That's what's traumatic, Peter. And then ripped apart her body. Yeah. How terrible. At this detainment hearing, Peter is ordered to be detained for another four weeks. And it's also ordered that Peter undergo a forensic psychiatric assessment and relinquish his laptop. Peter fights both orders, claiming that his computer contains valuable business secrets. But the judge rules against his objections and suspicions raise against him. Yeah, it's probably full of snuff films and pornography. You got it. The fruits of those investigations are revealed on October 3rd. It is revealed that the material on his computer includes videos of women being tortured and murdered, and snuff videos are a reoccurring theme found on the hard drive. In his defense, Peter says that the videos aren't his and says that other people have use of his computer. (laughs) But he didn't want to turn it over because there's classified information. But I'm going to let whoever wants to watch snuff films on my computer watch them. That's right. How stupid does he think everybody is? He just thinks he's really smart. Like, is that just total arrogance on his part? I think so. Or is he just so dumb? I don't know which one it is. He thinks the stories that he's telling are completely believable. Well, and he's used to people kind of hanging off of his every word. Yeah, he's had documentary crews following around for years now. Yeah. On October 6th, the dive teams made three grisly discoveries. Kib's head was found double-bagged at the bottom of the ocean, a plastic bag containing the red-orange blouse, a skirt, part of a strap, cable pieces, four buckles, part of a knife, a piece of a bra, a piece of some stockings, and various pieces of toilet paper and nylon cord attached to a knot. Several keychain parts and her pair of white sneakers are all found in one bag. Kim's legs are also found. There are blue and orange nylon straps found in that bag that match the pressure marks around the ankles. Oh no. These same kinds of straps were also found on the Nautilus when it was searched. A few days later, a wood saw would also be found. (gasps) So it's totally putting the pieces together. Mm -hmm. So he bound and tortured her and dismembered her with the saw. Yep. All were found on the bottom of Koi Bay along the route that the Nautilus had taken. On October 11, 2017, even though it was obvious that the skull had no fractures, but did show some signs that it had been clamped and secured, Peter continues to deny that he hurt Kim in any way or dismembered her body. (gasps) What? Yeah. He refuses to cooperate with any further police investigations or answer any questions. So the skull is proving that she did not get hit on the head. And how can he say he didn't dismember her body? Yeah, he just doesn't give any other explanation of it. That's terrible. On October 30th, Peter changed his version of events again at a detainment hearing. And that's just so crazy. You know what? You pick a story and you stick to it. And you're more likely to get away with it than changing your story every five minutes. I guess he wasn't expecting any evidence to be found. Because as Mm. the evidence was brought forward and he was having to change his story to kind of make it fit the evidence that they were finding. Yeah, that should be a clear indicator that he is lying. Yep. He claims that when he came up out of the sub, the hatch had closed and locked behind him due to a vacuum effect. He claims that he yelled for five to 15 minutes trying to tell Kim how to open the hatch, but he had been unsuccessful. He now surmises that she may have died from carbon monoxide poisoning while she was trapped in the sub and he couldn't get the hatch open. When he finally gets the hatch open, he said he felt a warm rush of air. And when he climbed down into the sub, he repeatedly slapped Kim to get her to wake up. 
but she was cold. He panicked, and after lying with Kim's body for several hours, he decided to bury her at sea. She wouldn't be cold after 15 minutes, would she? No. No. So after he had decided to bury her at sea, he attempted to move her body back through the hatch, but Kim's 110-pound body was too heavy for him to lift through the opening. That's when he decided to cut up the body and throw the pieces overboard attached to metal weights. He says now that he was suicidal and sunk the Nautilus on purpose, planning to go down with the sub. His story is so bizarre. And I can't figure out if he couldn't get the hatch open to help her, how did he eventually get the hatch open? Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't say they got swarmed by pirates and they did it. (laughs) (laughs) Might have been more believable. Yeah. Not a big surprise, but he's detained again because his story doesn't make sense. No. This time, though, a new charge of sexual crimes under particularly aggravating circumstances is added. Oh, so they have found some type of evidence of sexual assault. These charges were added because the 15 stab wounds to the torso that were reported earlier had taken on a significantly different meaning after the contents of Peter's computer were examined, and the fact that a forensic examiner has determined that they were inflicted at or close to the time of Kim's death. The stab wounds were previously thought to have been inflicted by Peter to keep the body from bloating and floating. Now they're much more sinister. The location of the stab wounds are largely centered around the vaginal area, both inside and out, (gasps) and are now believed to be a part of some sadistic sexual torture. So there wasn't a lot of bleeding at the sites, but there was evidence of some bleeding at the sites. So she could have been alive. Yeah. And let's just look at his story for a minute. If she was trapped in the submarine and asphyxiated from carbon monoxide poisoning, she would have had to been dead a long time before he got down to her. And then... He slept with her for a couple of hours and then he says he stabbed the body to release all the gases from the body and wouldn't float when he threw it overboard. So there would be absolutely no bleeding at the site then because she would have been dead. Yeah. In the latter part of November, the two remaining body parts, her arms, are located in Koi Bay. They have been weighed down in a similar way to all the other body parts that were found. And I thought I would mention this because the way that the Danish police managed to find all the body parts is an inspiring story on its own of teamwork and perseverance. They were searching for body parts in freezing water in stormy conditions. Their use of divers and Swedish dogs is fascinating. It's reported that each night the Vall family would receive a report for the day's findings, or more often than not, the lack of findings, and that each time they would thank the divers, the dog handlers, and the dogs for their dedication. There was an HBO series about the unique process that the dogs and the divers used to find Kim's body parts called The Investigation, and it's an interesting portrayal of how the events kind of played out but they actually used a a new scientific technique where they used cadaver dogs to smell scents through the ocean wow i didn't even know they used cadaver dogs in the ocean well it's not a regular thing and so this was like a whole new way that they were searching the ocean because the bay where they were searching for bodies was so vast and the divers weren't having very much success and they only had a limited amount of time because he was only detained for certain amounts of time until they had to present new evidence right and so they were working against the clock and it's in October and November that they're looking for her body. Wow. And they would take these cadaver dogs out onto the boats and they would pick up scents. And they had this grid pattern where they would actually mark the specific spot and the divers would go down and they would find nothing. And so the divers were like, oh, these dogs don't know what they're doing. And the dog handlers like these divers don't know what they're doing. So the scientist came on board and he had actually worked with the currents in the ocean and he was able to work out that the, where the dogs were actually sniffing the smell from was actually traveling oh. to about like two kilometers back. 
back. And so once they had figured that out, that's why they were so successful in one day on finding three different dump sites. It was fascinating. Isn't science amazing? I thought it was it pretty is. incredible. And that these dogs were working alongside these divers and the dogs were actually from Sweden. So it was two countries collaborating together to put together this investigation. That's amazing. It really is. So on Tuesday, January 16th, 2018, Peter Manston is finally indicted and charged with murder, sexual crimes, desecration of a grave, and crimes against maritime law. Good. The trial begins on March 8th, International Women's Day, in the city court of Copenhagen. Peter requests that the trial will take place before a judge and just two jurors instead of the typical six or nine person jury in Denmark. What? Yeah, apparently they get to choose how many jurors they want on their trial. And he wanted a 50-50 chance. (laughs) Yep, he wanted to go with two jurors. The prosecutors are seeking a life sentence. But in a country where murder sentences typically carries a 20-year term sentence, it's a significant burden of proof to show enough aggravating circumstances to warrant a life sentence. A life sentence in Denmark is only handed out on very rare occasions. Under the law, everyone serving a life sentence is eligible for a parole hearing after only 12 years. Really? Mm-hmm. The prosecution presents a compelling case about Peter's obsession with snuff films that causes him to attempt to live out his own fantasies by brutally and sadistically torturing Kim, then killing and dismembering her. The prosecution presents evidence that the murder wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision, but one of premeditation. During the trial, some of the most interesting things learned were that just days prior to making contact with Kim, Peter cancelled a much-anticipated sailing of the Nautilus that was to occur on August 11th. And the tools that were found with Kim's body pieces were not ones that were routinely stored on the sub. The wood saw, sharpened screwdrivers, straps, green hose, and metal pipes were all not present on the Nautilus, according to the intern that cleaned the sub the day before the outing. (gasps) So he packed it with him. Mm -hmm. He packed this up before she got there. Yeah, that's total premeditation. On three different occasions, Peter had tried unsuccessfully to get women to join him on the Nautilus in the week leading up to his voyage with Kim. And she was perfect for him because she was wanting his story. She absolutely would get on that sub with him. Yeah. A few hours before Kim would interview Peter, he searched for beheading, girl, and agony. (gasps) Just a few hours before he left with Kim. Oh, what a creep. The most damning evidence would come from a woman that believed that the eye messages that she and Peter were exchanging on August 4th, just days before that fateful trip on the Nautilus. The two were sexting back and forth, and the woman asked Peter to provide a threat that will inspire her. With that invitation, he outlines a murder plan in a submarine right down to the specific tools that he would use. Then he ends this fictitious fantasy by describing cutting up the woman. So all of these text messages or eye messages are are presented in court where he outlines pretty much what they figure happened to Kim. Whoa. What a dummy, honestly. Well, he was just so obsessed. And so he just wanted to accomplish his means. He's shown through his past that when he wants to achieve something, he just keeps working towards it, right? And finding a way to make it happen. And so he had invited several other women to go out on the Nautilus. He had lined up different things and searched for different pipes to how he would weigh the bodies down. He had done all of this research. And so he was now just working through his plan of who can I get to come out with me. Yeah. And by him relaying it to her, he has put thought into every step. It's not just something that accidentally happened or a heat of the moment type of thing. No. 
And this isn't an off-the-top-of-your-head fantasy either that he's sharing no. with this person. No. The defense goes with Peter's latest rendition of events, that he found Kim dead in the sub, and because he didn't want the negative publicity, in a shock stupor, he dismembered the body and buried her at sea. They argue, at the very most, he is negligible and guilty of desecrating a body. Therefore, he should only be penalized the amount of time that he has already served. That's what they want him <laughs> off with. So they're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Absolutely opposite ends. Peter testifies that the reasons he told different versions of the events was because he wanted to spare the family the knowledge that Kim had died accidentally. He maintained that he did not kill her, but did admit to dismembering her body after trying unsuccessfully for 50 minutes to lift her body through the hatch. In his words, he said that it was a logical solution to cut up a body into six different pieces to make them easier to throw overboard. What do you do when you have a big problem? You break it up into smaller ones. Oh. His text to his wife, believed to have been sent just after after Kim was murdered, was creepily calm and normal. He texted her, I'm out on an adventure on the Nautilus. All is well, sailing the high seas in the moonlight, not diving. Kisses and hugs to the cats. <laughs> this is a guy that had just murdered somebody. I'm like, oh, I better check in with my wife. Let yeah. her know I'm fine. I wonder if he was doing that to buy himself some time. Maybe. Right? Make it sound like everything's fine. I'm just going to stay out here in the moonlight. Because it would have taken him some time to do what he did. Mm -hmm. Peter rejects most of the claims made about his sexual appetites. When asked about the snuff films found in his possession, he changes the story again. And this time he says he likes the horror films and that some were downloaded just because the titles were misleading. <laughs> but Peter claimed these films were not sexual in any way, just like Kim's death was not sexual in any way. When asked about the semen stains that were found <gasps> in his underpants, he merely says, it's not strange given that I'm such a promiscuous person. Ew, uh, he's walking around with dirty underwear. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? So either he doesn't change his underwear or, or he's he a liar. Getting, yeah. Or he's getting off on the Nautilus. Ew. The psychological evaluation of Peter was not very flattering either. He was described as a pathological liar. Big surprise there. Mm -hmm. He's told so many stories. We figured that out. Yeah. And another less than shocking finding was that he was very sexually different and was a polymorphic pervert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Accurate. He was highly untrustworthy, superficially charming. So remember when you asked, was he charismatic? He was superficially. Mm. He was also emotionally impaired, considered a manipulator, and lacked empathy or a sense of guilt. So it wasn't a textbook description of a psychopath, but there are definitely many traits that he shared with psychopaths. Oh, for sure. At 1 p.m. on Wednesday, April 25th, 2018, Peter Matson was found unanimously guilty of all charges and sentenced to life in prison, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but <laughs> unanimously. <laughs> what an odd choice to pick two people. It's just so strange, yeah. right? And really, who would find him not guilty? So he's sentenced to a life in prison. And this sentence is really rare in Denmark. But every life sentence in Denmark has to have a like a parole. They call it a pardon review at 12 years. 12 years, right. So in 2030, that's when his review will come up. At that time, it's determined if the prisoner's sentence should be extended based on the likelihood of reoffending. When he comes up for his review, it's most likely that his sentence will be extended. Oh, I and hope he, so. Peter is said to have looked crushed at the verdict, and he did make a statement in which he said, the only thing I want to say is that I'm very, very sorry for all that has happened. But yeah. do we believe him? 
No. Mm-mm. A few days later, Peter appeals the penalty, but not the verdict. On Wednesday, September 26, 2018, the Eastern High Court upholds the city court's sentence of life imprisonment. While serving time, Peter allegedly confessed to killing Kim on an audio recording, but no admission of guilt has been made formally. Okay. But there's no doubt. In August 2018, Peter began to seek out pen pals from prison and was successful in gaining three female supporters. And it's alleged that he also had a relationship with a female prison guard. The prison guard? Uh Uh-huh. It's not shocking to me that he'd find crazy women that are attracted to him for that because you see that all the time with notorious killers. But the prison guard? Crazy, right? And all of this is actually before marrying a Russian political exile on December 19th, 2019. So he actually gets married while he's in jail. Yeah, that's crazy. Who would marry that? Girl, you can do better. And all of this is occurring while he's incarcerated in prison. That is always shocking. And it happens all the time. Like even here in North America, it happens. Yeah. It's caused quite an uproar about whether prisoners should actually be allowed to have these relationships. I wonder if it affects their behavior. Do you know what I mean? Like if they're allowed these conjugal visits. I'm sure there, they're more docile. There less, yeah. Is there less fights? Less Maybe. outbreaks? Like there's got to be a reason that they do it. But it doesn't seem right. No, that they it doesn't be given at that all. Privilege. Not at all. So you would think that that's where the story ends. It's not? No, not for a guy like Peter. Oh, no. His, Do I even want to know? His mind is always ticking. He's a problem solver. What's he doing? In 2020, he attempted to escape prison on October 20th. Really? Mm-hmm. And he gets out. Peter threatened a prison worker with a pistol-like object and managed to flee a few hundred meters away and tried to escape in a white van. A white kidnapper van? A white kidnapper van. <laughs> so was it the security guard? lady who helped him they never said who actually helped him in any of the reports huh but he's captured 500 yards away from the prison with a pistol-like object and a belt that had a decoy bomb on it oh they have to call in the bomb squad wow and a pistol-like object so he carved something to look like a pistol yeah (laughs) 500 meters he's an inventor So police refused to confirm at this time that there were other reports that Peter had tried to escape from the prison in the past. Oh. So it sounds like he might have... This uh, wasn't his first rodeo. No, this wasn't his first rodeo that he had tried to escape prison before. Huh. And sorry, and it wasn't a real bomb. No, okay. but he knew, like he had put together this plan, that this is how he would keep the police away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because they're not going to want to touch me if they think I have a bomb on me and a pistol. Yeah. You got to give him credit for being inventive, I guess. Well, that's what he is, right? He's that's this true. Inventor, he is an inventor. Impo- entrepreneur. He's just making things happen, right? Oh. With the tools that he has, which is what he's always done. Yeah. And it's always so sad. Like how much good he could have done for society. Yeah. He could have made Denmark a happier place. <laughs> they could have reached number one with him. That's right. It's all your fault, Peter. <laughs> So because of this attempted escape on February 9th, 2021, a Copenhagen court handed down another 21-month prison sentence to Peter. Good. The additional sentence will not be added, though, however, onto his life sentence. Oh, so he serves them consecutively? No, it's just there, and they put it in his file so that when he comes up for his probation request, that it will be like, hey, you tried to attempt to escape. Oh, I see. So one of the fascinating things that I find about this case is how his 
drive with the rockets and with the submarines paralleled his drive in his sex life as well. It seems that he would accomplish one thing and then just go on to the next and never be satisfied with what he was accomplishing. Like it was always about the next step. Right. And that's how most driven people are. They rarely take time to even enjoy accomplishing the one goal before they're already working on the next one. And his submarines, it wasn't just enough to build a submarine. He had to then make the biggest submarine. And the rocket, it wasn't okay just to launch one into outer space. Now it had to be one that was manned. Right. And it had to be better and he had to accomplish it faster than his competitor. Yeah. And so it was just this drive to always be accomplishing the next thing that I think you can actually see paralleled in his sex life where he was into the fetishes and then he was into BDSM and then it led to the snuff films which in the end wasn't enough that he actually had to reenact them himself. Yeah and he had an open relationship so he was given that freedom to just explore and do what he wanted. And maybe that's what had him so that he didn't start killing until such a late age because he was like 46 at the time. Wow. And so that maybe being allowed to explore those avenues actually kept him at bay. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Or did it create a storm that couldn't be controlled? Because it was just a, a positive feedback loop and that he just continued to grow and grow right. until he had to move on to the next thing. Because say if one of these fetishes had been nipped in the bud right at the beginning, he wasn't in an open relationship, maybe it would have passed or he would have kept it subdued. But he was allowed to take it and run and keep going, like you said, to the next point, to the next point. Not to okay. put blame on anybody else, no. you know, just but you how the see- circumstance unfolded. And you can see that paralleled in, again, his working relationship where he found like he would run out of money and then he would find people to sponsor it because they were inspired by his vision and so this driven personality just keeps him going all the time and it really makes you wonder if a driven personality is a good thing or a bad thing i think it can be a fabulous thing but it's all what you put it towards he just got off track in a really big bad way and like we've said so many times before what would have happened if he had to use those talents towards something good right and that's what you see with kim vall she had so much of a driving passion as well but her driving passion was put towards bettering other people's lives that's true that's a great example of how it all depends what it's put towards right those two parallel examples of what you can do when you have that drive and that ambition because those are not bad qualities to have but when you start to become invincible and you want to always be the center of attention you always got to be first you got to have the biggest the best and then you start to feel entitled and I think the more he would watch those snuff films the more normal it would become Oh, yes. You definitely become desensitized to them for sure. And I think that's reflected in his comment in the trial when he says, well, she was already dead. What did it matter if I dismembered her? Yeah. And we see that with serial killers, even with the toolbox killers that we just recently did. Each murder victim, they progressed in their violence. They just were needing that next step. Yeah. They even had acid already bought to try on their next victim. Just so crazy. It is. So that's the crazy case of Peter Madsen, the driven psychopath. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) The snuff film dirtbag. That was a wild ride. (laughs) If you got through all of my fumbling. (laughs) We used a lot of Google Translate in this one. Those words were not easy. And I have to say the spelling of the words are nothing like the pronunciation of the words. (laughs) (laughs) At least anything like the English Right, for us, for us to be able to read. (laughs) That's it for this week. But next week, we have an extremely special episode for you guys coming up. Yes, we have a very different case than anything that we have ever done. We have a special guest who's going to be joining us whose niece was actually the victim of a murder case. 
It'll be a new avenue that we don't usually do on Buried Motives. So next week, join us when we talk to Kim Toller. It's quite the privilege for us to be able to speak to her and have her tell her side of the story. And we're excited to share that episode with you. Until then, we hope you guys have a great week. See ya. Bye. first episode on the motorcycle are still here <laughs> can't be a motorcycle oh yeah that would not be <laughs> it's like minus like 40 <laughs> with his father who is an in 30 and 30 and in 30 and 30 does that mean he only dates women who are in their 30 some years younger than him that's right the 30 <laughs> good luck with that one no not caca <laughs> it's not caca it's a crappy name <laughs> I'll just say it on here and you can edit it in. <laughs> Lang Langilinian? Langilian? Langilini. Langilini. Belief that Keter that Keter. <laughs> He's meter? He's Keter? <laughs> He's Keter. Peter Patter. Patter. Peter. Peter. Peter makes Peter the request. Amma. 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 Ama, 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 amore, camita ma. Whatever. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.